Welcome back to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. In Garage Mahal today is uh, P. Nate Pudi, and as always, our, our sound wizard, Dave. Sound wizard. Wow, sound wizard. He's like the Wizard of Oz, except he really only stays in Garage Mahal and does rebel stuff. <laughs> <laughs> His driveway's like the yellow brick road, though, because all right. the leaves had fallen. That's right. So that works a little bit. Nice fall day. I do. I do. So, yeah. So you are in uh, in studio with the rebels, and uh, we are so thankful that you're here with us. Uh, we would love for you to check out our website. I've been working hard to make the website uh, look look pretty for you. <laughs> so, I am now going to be updating the Berean Media Network website. Yeah, you, just recently. Can so, you get us on there? Can you get us on there? I, it's on my docket of things to do tomorrow. Okay. Nice. So that's the plan to get it up and running. By tomorrow, this will be weeks ago. So <laughs> by now, it's already done. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you can check us out at rebelalliancemedia.com. <laughs> we are proud members of the Berean Media Network, and you can find us all, right, Chris? Yes. <laughs> on the Berean Media Network.com. Um, where you will hear sound theology and you'll hear our, our good buddies who are in this podcasting thing together. I'm going to try to say podcasting as much as I can this podcast uh, for the sake of Brandon, who hates it when podcasts say podcast. What happens if we say podcasting on this podcast? I'm, I'm just going to say it as often as I possibly can. I, I like to say I'm just doing my podding. I'm just doing potting. Potting is that a Potting. Thing? I don't know. Um, so uh, that's the front pew. Uh, Layman's Cup both come out on Mondays. Uh, the Rebel Alliance. Uh, you're listening to us hopefully on Wednesday because you're listening to us the uh, day we drop. And the two thieves that come out on Thursdays, ish, ish, ish. Um, and those are our buddies. And uh, we would love for you to check out their content. They are doing some awesome stuff, and they will help you grow in your faith as well. Uh, we're here to help you engage culture with a biblical worldview. And uh, today we have uh, just some exciting stuff. We actually get to talk about some of our favorite verses today. So uh, we're going to talk about that. But uh, before we do, uh, I was just curious, Chris, what are you you reading right now? I don't think we've talked about books for a while. What are you reading? I I just finished a book um, by David Platt called Countercultural. I wanted to read it. uh, it, You know how sometimes you get books and you have like a list of books you have to get through? Yeah, Yeah. Well, it's been on my list for about a well. Probably six months. I've probably had it six months, but people keep giving me books, and I'm always I'm I'm always obligated. Like I feel like if you give me a book, I need to read that before the books that I like. So so if I give you a book, you feel obligated to read it immediately. I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, I'll I'll finish. I can change your life, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) You already have, my friend. Wow, that's deep. That is deep. Nice and kind. Now I'm awkward. Don't look at me in the eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look at me. Uh, Anyway, yeah, no, I, I, I'll finish whatever I'm reading then, and then I feel obligated to do it. And like same as if I borrow a book, I feel like I need to read that. Even though I apologize right up front because I know there's people listening to this that (laughs) I have (laughs) books of that I once I'm done reading them, they're out of sight, they're out of mind. Like I, they will go on my shelf. And if you, I'm better off to just give you money. So if I if I have some of your books, have fun trying to get those back, boys. (laughs) Uh, Nice. Okay, so counting. Oh, do you have some of Jude's? I think I have three. He, he's a big guy to borrow books from. I know, I know. And uh, he's probably faster than I am. Yeah. Uh, countercultural, though. Uh, good book. Good book. It was quite a good book. A couple things I would like not necessarily disagree with him. Unfortunately, Platt hasn't yet got biblical in his eschatology. Um, but in ter- <laughs> So if you can correct Platt on anything. 
I wouldn't even attempt to be honest. One, yeah. he would just tell me to go on missions anyway. He's yeah. like, don't worry about those things. Go on missions. Yeah. Um, but if he was in actually in North America at, at the time, um, I would recommend it though because it really speaks to a lot of the things that we're that our culture is dealing with. Right. And so I know that we're about to go to the uh, University of Western Ontario's campus in a couple weeks to do a live uh, show, I guess you would say, there. Um, this is this book is almost like training you for for conversations that are bound to come up. Things like um, how to deal with homosexuality, how to fight abortion, how to do social social justice. There's a lot of things in that book about those issues right. and how to think through them biblically. And Platt, Platt has an unbelievable way of making, well, one, everything very convicting, but two, <laughs> making everything so simple. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, well, yeah, I need to do this because that's what Jesus would do. And it's like, he just breaks it down in, in such an easy way that it, you can almost take the book, read the book, and hand the book off to anybody and they would get something out of it. So there you go. So therefore, go I just finished the book. Nice. Yep. And that means I, I am just about to start a book that uh, I borrowed. So I'm going to read that. It's The Mission of God by Joe Boot. That's... Such a good book. How long ago did you recommend me that book? Too long ago. Uh, long enough ago that I'm a little offended that you haven't read it yet. But it's, uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> Mission of God it, by, by Dr. Joe Boot is probably one of the most, uh, in terms of modern books, like books written by people who are still alive, one of the most influential for me, my pastoral ministry, my theology, etc., but on top of that, it's probably the most, like talk about a diamond in the rough. Most people don't know who Joe Boot is. And if you do know who Joe Boot is, you probably haven't read anything by him. And if you have read anything by him, you've probably read something short like Why I Still Believe, which is also a good book. But The Mission of God is kind of his manifesto. It's like, a, I think it's like 800 pages. It's, it's daunting, but it is so good. And basically his thesis is, that is this a spoiler are you spoiling the book no 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 no, because he he outlines it in the prologue so okay good um basically the thesis of the book is um in the resurgence of reform theology that we're currently experiencing right the young restless in the reform the the you know um john piper has kind of changed a lot of the north american uh christian landscape with with reintroducing calvinistic and reform theology what Joe is saying is that though this generation seems to be re-embracing Puritan theology, we have not embraced Puritan missiology. And so he basically says the Puritans uh, had a way of taking their theology and applying it to every sphere of their lives. And we haven't done that yet. And so he's saying we ought to. So let's wrap this podcast up short so I can finish this podcast <laughs> and get yeah, home and so get I can book, read, yeah. read, read, it's read the so books. It's so good. It's so good. What, what we should, let's just make up a segment as we're, as we're doing admin on air here on this podcast. Um, what are, give me three books over the next, before now and Christmas. Okay. Well, actually, that's way too long. Now in. No, no. Now and Christmas is good. Because well, is one of them going to be Mission of God? Because that's that's yeah, that's it is good, pretty thick. That, that one I, takes a while. Okay, that's like two. Right. So, so we'll give, give me give Mission me of God and two, two more, more books that you think everybody should be reading right now. Go. Okay, um, Empires of Dirt by Doug Wilson. Empires of Dirt. Empires of Dirt by Doug Wilson. Um, great book. Uh, it's kind of uh, it's it's his look at modern culture. 
um, and that the secular humanistic worldview of you know uh, you know there is no morality, there is no absolute truth, there is only mat- the material world, there is no God. Um, he he says that the secular humanistic worldview is a house of cards, and the the absurdity that we're seeing with transgenderism, sexual politics, um, all this kind of stuff. Um, rejection of absolute truths, all that absurdity is a house of cards. As a house of cards, it's coming down. And because it can't stand, because it is a house of cards, because it is hollow, um, it's going, the, 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 I guess the thought, the ethos, the, the society's, um, uh, I, I don't know what I'm saying here. So um, the uh, the general consensus of, of society is going to have to land on something. This this whole idea that absolute truths don't exist and are going to be um, that uh, don't exist that is absurdity, and eventually it's going to fall apart. So people will, in rejecting that, as the house of cards falls down, are going to be looking for truth. And really, Doug Wilson kind of puts two th- ideas together. He says one of two things is going to be there to pick up the pieces when the house of cards falls: the Christian worldview or the Islamic worldview. And he talks about how essentially the Islamic worldview is better poised right now to pick up the pieces, but because of his optimistic eschatology, he believes that Christianity can be there and do that, and Christians need to be prepared for it. So, great book. So, Mission of God by Joe Boot. Yep. Empires of Duke by Douglas Wilson. Yep. What's the third one? You just you can give just give me the title. Just give, don't stop talking is what you're saying. Well, I'm worried um, that you're giving me too much info. <laughs> oh, like okay, it's spoiler enough. alerts. All right, my I, I won't give you as much spoilers then. Uh, Created and creating by William Edgar, which is basically just and I'll just say this: it's uh, a biblical theology of culture um, by a guy who is a uh, culture and, th- and apologetics professor. Um, uh, that that book was recommended. Uh, I read it because Tim Keller tweeted out that it was the best book he's read in 2017. So I got it and I said, well, if it's good enough for Keller, it's good enough for me. And it was so good. So good. So Created and Creating by William Edgar, Empires of Dirt by Doug Wilson, Mission of God by Joe Boot. I'm going to enjoy my fall. There you go. And they're all living authors, <laughs> which is rare. I, I like reading well, dead authors. Normal, normally when I ask you for a book, you usually say something from like 50, 1500 or the yeah. 1700s, which I'm fine with. But I don't know if all of our listeners are going to want to read yeah. that stuff. So those so are this, all modern books. So uh, all three of them written in the last four years. So P. Nate lays out three books that everybody needs to read before December 31st. Try to beat. Oh, pretty. everybody needs to read it. Nice. Yeah, I just decided this uh, is submit a game. your book reports to info at rebelalliance.com. <laughs> Two thousand words, double spaced. Yeah. Um, no, everybody needs to read that. Try to beat Pootie reading the, reading those books. I'm starting today. Bam. Nice. Go. All right. Sweet. I think I'll um, because I think I'll be the only one who's listened to who will actually read this. <laughs> uh, all right. What so are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? Today, uh, actually, so what we wanted to do is uh, we wanted to, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. We've been talking about continuationism and cessationism. Uh, we wanted to kind of get uh, just really biblical and really practical for some people and talk about one of our favorite verses. Uh, and part of this comes out of just some recent conversations that we've had with people, but we want to talk today about the greatness of the Great Commission. So we want to talk about the Great Commission. Uh, we're going to read it. We're going to talk our way through it and, uh, and why we think that the Great Commission ought to be greater <laughs> in the minds of Christians than it currently is. 
Uh, so do you, do you want to read it? I can read it. So, uh, so for those of you listening, if you want to pull out your Bible, if you're, if you're driving, don't pull out your Bible app. We'll read it to you. But if you have your Bibles and you want to pull them out, uh, Matthew 28, and I think Chris is going to start in verse 16-ish. Yeah, I'm going to start right at the beginning of it. So, uh, Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Awesome. And we're done. Sign off. And that's the podcast. <laughs> that's uh, the podcast. That that line, the like, I this is just I didn't even plan to say this, but the that line at the end almost gets me weepy every time I read it, especially mm. if I read a little bit before it. You know, what I mean, sometimes I'm, I, you know, you can be guilty of familiar verses just saying them over and over yeah, yeah. again. But and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just think about that for a moment. Yeah, I am with you always. Have <laughs> a Kleenex. Um, so the Great Commission, and uh, this is we we talk about this all the time in in Christian churches. That these are our marching orders, um, and uh, and one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it is because we all know the Great Commission. I, I say we all. I, I think any Christian who spent any amount of time in church has heard the Great Commission. Yeah. Most of us can quote it, if not word for word, at least verbatim, or at least uh, paraphrased. We understand this. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, teach them obedience. We, we know that, we get that, and we often refer to that as that's what the church should be doing. Um, the problem is we all know it, but we don't really believe it. No, it's true. Not only, like, so often we'll say, oh, we know this, but we don't do it. I would say we, we think we know this, but we don't really believe it. And we'll like I'll just start with you know Jesus starts it and he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and so often the Great Commission starts at verse nineteen it's the go right go and make disciples and we forget a little word that's so important this is the English nerd coming out of me it says go it doesn't say go make disciples of all nations it says go therefore and every time we see a therefore Chris has sat under my ministry a long time what do we ask the question when we see a therefore when you see a therefore you gotta ask why it's there what it's there. Four. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Do I get a gold star? <laughs> yeah, yes, you do. Um, yeah, so if you see a therefore, what is it there for? Therefore always refers to what's come right before it. So we go and make disciples of all nations. Why? We go because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And I say we don't believe it because I think we would all say all authority in heaven has been given to Jesus. Amen. But do we really believe all authority on earth has been given to Jesus? All authority on earth has been given to Jesus? Do we actually believe that? Well, we, we definitely don't live our lives that way. No. I mean, we, we live, I think we live in, in an abstract knowing that he has all authority. We just think that it's not come to earth. Right? right. That we don't have that authority given to us now through him to do what he's commanded us to do. I think... I think we know that he's king and we have an understanding that one day he will reign, but we don't think of what that means for us today right now. Right. We, we think of the, you know, the already but not yet that we talk about as Christians all the time. We think that that somehow also translates to Jesus' authority, right? 
that Jesus already, but not yet, has all authority. And I, I don't think that's actually the case. Yeah, he I think had, that he, he had, has all authority. Exactly, because the verse doesn't say he has some authority, right. or he's gaining an authority. Right. It's, I have all authority. Right. So there is no, there is no wiggle room to say that there's a, a, an increasing of his authority, or that there's a level to it. It's all. It's right. encompassing. It's complete. Right. All authority is his, therefore. So so let me ask you a question, Chris. How then does the common misbelief by Christians that Satan is the god of this world, right? We hear that all the time, god of this world. And and there's there's verses that we can pull out of context that improve text that, right? The god of this world has blinded their eyes. Um, what would you say to that? What would you say, how is Satan in control of the world if Jesus has all authority? Well, the first the first thing I would I would say is that Satan was in control of the world until Jesus took that authority back. He he purchased back the right to claim the nations from him when he died on the cross. When he came, he brought right. the kingdom with him. Now he's left that task to us to go and actually conquer the rest of the world for right. him. He has authority now to send us out to do that. So I would reject the idea that that Satan is the prince of this world currently right that's gone right that's no longer no longer the case that was the case i believe that right. was the case until jesus brought the kingdom in his ministry until he came in power and brought the kingdom which is if you read through especially the book of matthew he continually talks about the kingdom of god being at hand right it wasn't the kingdom of god is coming it's the kingdom of god is here because he is here right. and he brought the kingdom so i would reject the idea period that that satan is the king of the world i think He's a fleeing foe before a conquering army. That and <laughs> Ooh, that's good. I'm I'm just gonna change that slightly. Fleeing foe in front of a conquering king. That's oh, that's, good. That's that, better. That's, that's good, better. Eh? Good yeah. job. You, I, that, that was you. I just I just put one last word to it. Yeah, you, you took my idea and Steve Jobs made it better. <laughs> <laughs> but so and and I think that's right. So when Jesus says he has all authority in heaven and on earth, I think what he's talking about is a is a legal right a legal reality, but the practical reality is working itself out. So what I mean by that is that we we believe, now when you said, and I just want to make sure that we're not going to be misheard, because I agree with everything you said, but the one thing you said that might be misheard is you said God, or Satan was in control of the world. Well, we would say God is sovereign. Nothing happens apart from his authority. And so he was in control but that there was there when when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the earth that God gave to Adam, go have dominion, right? So he gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth, stewardship of the earth, yeah. and they surrendered, right? They surrendered their uh, the authority given to them by God to Satan, and so where we get this from is again it's a it's a taking it from the whole council of of scripture and then Jesus uh, comes onto the scene he goes into the wilderness satan says bow down before me i'll give you the nations jesus doesn't say they're not yours to give no, he recognizes that he's in control of right the and and that was that's described in scripture as a temptation of jesus which means the temptation there was satan is giving or offering jesus a way to get what he came for right the legal authority back to to be king of the earth. Um, he uh, he was offering him that in a way that circumvented the cross. So so Jesus comes onto the scene. Matthew chapter twelve. He talks about how he's coming to bind up Satan, bind up the strong man, to plunder his house. To basically, I think Doug Wilson, when we had him on the podcast, he said, uh, "What did Jesus do when he came to earth? 
he took the devil's stuff. (laughs) Doug Wilson just has such a great way of saying things so simply. And, and so that's what, that's what happened at the cross. Jesus bought back his legal authority over the entire earth. He is now the rightful King of the earth purchased back. And, uh, and I think, so where we go with that, uh, as we're, as we're still kind of establishing some of the background here, um, go, if you go to Psalm two or any of our listeners go to Psalm two or think about Psalm two in Psalm two, uh, it's it's uh, really interesting. It says, The Lord said, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So that's, I believe, that's God the Father talking to God the Son, right? You are my son. Ask of me, he says, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. And so what he's essentially saying is, you know, my son, right? My, my beloved son, my only begotten son. He says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. And I think what we see is the Garden of Gethsemane, right? There's, there's God. Go, go to the cross, right? That's, that's part of the eternal plan between the eternal covenant between God the Father and God the Son. Go to the cross and get the nations. And... Jesus goes to the cross, essentially asking God for the nations, and that's where Jesus asked and God gave. Um, interesting that Psalm ends with, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So when we get to this great commission, I think what we're seeing here is that Jesus now has all authority in heaven and on earth. And what he's saying is, go get me the nations. Go get me my inheritance. Go get me what God promised to give me. And he gives us the privilege of going and getting what God promised to give him. Ask of me, I'll give you the nations. And Jesus says, all right, guys, go get me my inheritance. Yeah. I think I think it's important to point out that a lot of times we, we read that. And because we know that Jesus is specifically speaking to his disciples then, that we think it's a mandate of theirs. Right. To go. And it's like, no, no, no. This is the way, the, the language. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'm not going to break it down for you guys. But basically, it's it's implied that this is for you at that, them at that time, but us as well, that all believers should be part of this, that it's not given to just the, an individual. This has been given to a group. Um, and the group at, this, at that point is the, the disciples. Then they've given it on to us so far and so far that we've got the same mandate throughout Christi- Christendom, as yeah. I try to say. So, so Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So based on the authority of Christ, based on the fact that he's the rightful <coughs> king of the world, go therefore, based on that, go and make disciples, it says, of all nations. So making disciples doesn't just mean making converts, right? But But when it says make disciples, we would recognize that means... From conversion through maturity, go make disciples, right? Making a disciple, Jesus made a disi- made disciples of his disciples over a three-year process. And somewhere along the way, regeneration, new birth happened in their lives. And so from conversion, so making disciples has to do with turning atheists into Christians, right? It, it has to do with evangelism, and it has to do with making converts into mature Christians. So it's that whole spectrum conversion to maturity in Christ, make disciples. Yeah, I would, I would say the the only time that, that 
ends, so to speak, is when that disciple then is doing the same thing. He's right. then going and making disciples himself right. of doing the exact same thing, teaching them to obey what Christ has commanded to us, baptized the, the whole nine yards, right? Once they're doing that, I think you can safely say, okay, well, now they're, now they're making disciples with me. It's my turn to go make another disciple. Right. I, think, I think part of the problem isn't the right word, but people, people put the emphasis in, this, in these verses out the wrong thing. They put it on the go, where I think it's important to, to always point out that it's the make disciples that is, in, in the Greek, in the original language, is the emphasis of what Jesus is saying here. It's make disciples, it's not go. You know what I mean? Like we don't have to be on missions to fulfill this. This is something we're all called to do everywhere we are. You're called to make disciples if you work at Starbucks and you're called to make disciples if you are a missionary in Angola. You're called to make disciples wherever you are. Right. Which I like to always point out to people because I know there's and I know there's a lot of people who aren't in ministry or who work in a job they hate. You know what I mean? Or they work in a job that they don't see a purpose. They don't see how this is advancing the kingdom. The Great Commission answers that question, that you are you are in where, the place that you are to make disciples. Right. And God doesn't make mistakes. We've talked about that so often in terms of gender and other things, that God doesn't make mistakes, which means where you're working is where God wants you to make disciples. And what that looks like, what that means in your in your life at that point, I can't answer that question because I don't know how you're going to be making disciples where you are, but there, that's why you're there. Right. We know the generic ways you'll make disciples yeah. is by being a disciple yourself. But Well, and I think that this is, um, you know, one of the things that I think is, is so prevalent in our modern culture is, you know, feelings of depression, anxiety, fear, um, and and I think so much of those feelings, the 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 kind of the ennui, the, the the restlessness, the dissatisfaction that we feel, comes from not feeling significant, not feeling important, and so much of that has to do with not feeling as though we're validated in in our jobs or whatever the case may be. And if we, if the Christian Church really took seriously, you are on this earth. The purpose of your life is to glorify God by making disciples. Then you have the most important job in the universe. And so whether you are, you know, mopping floors as a janitor or running a multi-million dollar company, both of those things are insignificant when they're placed up against your spiritual job, your marching orders by Christ. Go make disciples of all nations. Go do that. That's, that's your job. The, whether you mop the floors or run a company, um, that's just the means by which you are able to, like, that's what gives you the means to have a house that you can invite people into, have a car that you can go to, raise money to go out, uh, overseas onto the missions field. That's the means by which you accomplish. But this is your job. This is your marching orders. This is, this is not the, the job that's been given to you by your employer. This is the command that's been given to you by the king of the world. <laughs> Yeah, it's a big deal. This I would I would say this is the Christian's job. Yes. So if you're a Christian, this is your job. Your yeah. job description is that. Yeah. That is your job description for not whatever pastors, role. not evangelists, everyone. No. Your your vocation yes. is the method that you're going to yeah. play out this. Yeah. So and, whatever and you're how called many to. Times I'm just going to rant here for a second. <laughs> I love it. I love I know, rants. I know. 
So, so often Christians get caught up in this, what's God's will for me, right? As a pastor, that's I get asked that all the time. I'm trying to discern God's will for my life. I want to know what God wants me to do. And it's just like, God, like, and I, I, I'm just going to say this for emphasis because God, God cares, right? He's a good father. He cares. But I'm just going to say this for emphasis. I'm going to say it this way. God doesn't care where you work. God doesn't care who you marry. God doesn't care how you, how you make your money. God cares about whether or not you're making disciples. Now, of course, God cares about your vocation. God cares about your wife. What I mean to say is that this is number one. Who does God want you to marry? Somebody who's going to come alongside you and help you make disciples. Who do, where does God want you to work? Somewhere where you're going to go and make disciples. What does God want you to go to school for? Doesn't matter. <laughs> God wants you to go and get an education, get a job that helps you make disciples. That's your, that's your calling. That's God's will for your life. You want to know God's specific will for your life? Go make disciples. Yeah, exactly. You, you being in school, the goal of you being in school is to make disciples while you're there. Right. You know what I mean? Whatever the outcome that you get when you're done that right. program at school yeah. is a secondary concern to God's main concern for you, which is to make that you are making disciples. Right. And you're teaching them and, and baptizing them, all that stuff. Right. So and so and 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 keep this going. Like, why does God tell us to uh, get married and have kids? To make disciples, to multiply, to fill the earth with God's the knowledge of God's glory. That's the point. Yeah. Husbands disciple your wives. Husbands and wives disciple your kids. Like this is this is part of it, right? So making disciples isn't just evangelism. It's also family discipleship. It's all those things. So that's the reason God designs marriage. That's the reason God designs families. That's the reason God designs vocation. That's the reason God designs all these things is giving you opportunities to make disciples. Yeah, and it's not it's not just for. It's not just for the pastors or the super Christians or anybody who, you know, you look at and say, oh, they're, they're great at talking and they're great at right. these sort of things. This is a command for all of us or else he would have, he would have snatched those up to heaven right away when they became regenerate. Because what's the point of leaving us here if we didn't have a right. mandate? No, he's left us all here for, to, fill, to fulfill his commission that he's given to us, which is right. to make disciples. Right. And what that looks like is necessarily secondary like how where you do that and what you're doing to do that is secondary to the actual practice of that is what you're called to do right which i think we sometimes always get and especially people in ministry are prone to get caught up in the idea that there's a method and there's a program that makes disciples whereas let's know it's just making disciples is the whole point you know what right. i mean so um so, so now I'll say something a little controversial because I feel like a lot of, well, maybe I already have, but I feel like a lot of people would be like, yeah, great commission. We love it. Yeah, good got, job. Here's the thing. There's nothing in the text that we just read that suggests God is giving us a recipe for failure. There's nothing in the text that would suggest that God is telling us to do something we can't do. If you look at the North American church, and you ask the average North American Christian about what's going to happen <laughs> on earth, you know, through the church, through Christian efforts in this dark age, they would articulate something that would make you think that the Great Commission is something like this. All authority in heaven and some authority on earth has been given to me. <laughs> Go and make disciples of whatever nation I've placed you in, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey some of the things that I've commanded, and, by the way, I'll be with you, sort of, kind of, 
until the end when I have to come back and finish what you didn't do. (laughs) You'd think that that's what the Great Commission says based on um, what most Christians think the world is going to end up looking like. And so I would just say there's nothing in this text that would suggest that God is giving his disciples marching orders that can't be carried out. And I would, I would say that Jesus is telling us something, giving us marching orders, and giving us a mandate that can be fulfilled. And so the second part of the Great Commission is not just understanding the greatness of it, but understanding that it, it can be carried out. Yeah. And Jesus gave it to us expecting that it would be. You, you use the analogy, and I, I remember it because it, I found it very impactful at the time. So the analogy of the, if, think of this as, you know, in terms of a battle. Jesus is the general. Yeah. We, I think we all agree he's the one in control. He's, he's the one moving the pieces. A good general doesn't say to his army as he's about to send them out into the field, go, do the thing that I've commanded to you, but you're going to lose, you're going <laughs> to die, and then I'm just going to take over and win the fight for you guys. Don't worry about that. That's not the, that's not the point. Right. The point is he would send, yeah. he sends about, us like, out all with a strategy, movies. with a plan. Yeah, think about Gladiator and Braveheart and all those. Like, can you just picture Mel Gibson giving the big inspirational speech and saying, "Let's ride off to our death." <laughs> well, there's always that. There's always that like cheesy movie where they're like, "We're all gonna die," but we're okay with it. We're okay yeah. with it. Notice my furtic voice from the other episode yeah, yeah. is also the voice that I use for cheesy movies. <laughs> Throwing that out there, nice. uh, but but yeah, you're right. It's it no the the command here is is. The emphasis on this command is that we will be successful. Yeah. Because, again, the therefore is there. Because all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him, therefore you can do these things and this will succeed because I've given you your authority. And if you were doubting, I'm going to be with you to do it. Right. Which is, again, the verse that makes Booty weep. <laughs> he will be with us until the end of the age. Right. You know I mean, which, you know. Yeah. He's with us. So, um, great commission. And, and I, I would just, I think I, at the beginning, I, I'm recommending a lot of books this episode, but I'm going to recommend another book. Uh, so if you haven't read this one, add this to your list, Chris. Um, there's a book called The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a book that basically talks about how um, the pessimism that is currently fostering in the North American church about how successful the Great Commission can be in this side of history um, didn't arise in the church until the 1900s, and that the great missionary movements of the past were fueled by a belief that the Great Commission could be successfully carried out in history, that there used to be generations of Christians who actually believed that what Jesus is telling us to do was possible. And that that optimism, that 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 trust, that that what God is telling us to do, He will also empower us to actually do. That trust is what fueled things like the Welsh revivals and and the uh, the colonization of America and and the the Great Awakening and, and some of these amazing events throughout Christian history. What sparked those things? the actual belief that Jesus was going to empower his church to do exactly what he commanded us to do, that this wasn't wishful thinking. And, uh, yeah. and somewhere along the way, and, and the Puritan hope kind of uh, puts that in the, the rise of the First and Second World War and the Great Depression as people started to look at the world around them and stop living by faith and started living by sight. They saw the world around them getting worse and believed that 
uh, and, and started believing deviant eschatologies that would tell them the Great Commission won't be fulfilled. So, yeah, start to, started to take what they saw around them and put that onto what Scripture says right. and interpret Scripture with a lens of experience right. of what they're seeing in the world rather than what Scripture is actually Right, teaching. and what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that the righteous live by faith. And what is faith? Faith is the evidence of things not yet seen, right? So if, if the things that we have not yet seen is the, is the nation's discipled, right? The righteous shall live by faith, and the knowledge of the uh, glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So how does that happen? By the righteous living by faith. How, what does living by faith look like? Living in light of the promises that God has given to us, even though we don't see them fulfilled yet. Absolutely. Believing they will. Exactly. Amazing. So oh, man, <laughs> I love this text. I love I love the Great Commission. I well, want people to take it more seriously. I I, th I think people want to take it seriously, but I think the problem the problem now we're going to get into a bit of a bunny trail, but then I'm fine with that. the The problem is, is that because people have been raised with a a faulty eschatology on the idea that because if you are raised with an idea that the world has to get continually worse, yeah. And we will ultimately fail to the point where Jesus has to come back and snatch us all to save us. Um, if you live with that framework, you can't then look at the Great Commission and be like, oh, when I preach the gospel to my friend, it's going to be successful. Or it's going to, my ministry is going to grow and be successful. Which the Great Commission doesn't specifically say that's the case. It right. says overall this right. is going to happen but it's it's but it's happening like leaven that's working its way through the loaf <laughs> exactly. right? it takes time it, it's a it's a mustard seed growing slowly yeah I mean. um the idea here is that it, th we will be successful su successful ultimately right it doesn't mean we're going to be successful in this life my ministry might fail utterly right utterly is that a word utterly utterly yes. is what i the cold is killing yeah. me here but the the whole idea because people have a framework a framework of bad eschatology when they read the great commission it doesn't have the impact right. that it has to somebody who has realized that christ is victorious yeah. and he came back as a victoriously conquering king yeah yeah so we'll yeah I, I, I totally agree i think they you almost have to start fitting verses like this into your pre-existing framework and 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 by doing that you you get deviant about it if i think i think i mean I mean, call me crazy because I've been so steeped in this, but I think a straightforward reading of Scripture just lends itself to believe that the Great Commission will be successful in history, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that all nations will turn to God, that the nations will flow up to the mountain of God, that from the mountain of God the law will go forth and Jesus Christ will rule. Um, from sea to sea and have dominion to the ends of the earth. Like, it, it just goes on and yeah. on, right? Malachi says that all peoples everywhere will offer incense to my name. Like, a straightforward reading of Scripture <laughs> it just lends itself to believe this is going to happen. And if we really believe it, I mean, how different would our efforts as Christians to end abortion, right, to, to fight for the sanctity of life, to fight for the sanctity of marriage— how different would our fights look if we actually believed that abortion is going to be defeated because the Bible promises that it will be defeated. And even though we can't see it, we walk by faith and not by sight, and we recognize this is an enemy that will be defeated. ISIS is an enemy that will be defeated, 
right? The, the hardness of hearts to the gospel are enemies that will be defeated. Like if we actually believe what the Bible just seems to plainly say, yeah. then how different would our battle look? Because like you said, if Christ is the general, he's giving us these marching orders, he gives us the promises, and then he says, go and do it, then we fight differently. We fight differently than the general who says, you won't be successful, you're going to die, I'm going to have to come and rescue you anyway, but go fight, right? The battle looks different. Yeah, exactly. And if you, you think, think of it logically, logically for a minute, right? If you fight without hope, yeah. do you win? No, no you don't win. No. You, don't, you don't win a, fight, a hopeless fight. Yeah. The, the reason, and you, you look at this in just in other terms, generically for a moment, like William Wilberforce over, overthrew, well, was instrumental in overthrowing slavery. Why? Because he fought with hope that that would be the outcome. Absolutely. He persevered. It took him, I, if, I might, if my time frame is wrong, I, th- I believe it was a decade in court that he fought for yeah. it, this to be overthrown in England. At any point, he could have been like, his hope could have left and he would be like, no, I'm, I'm done with it. And it would have failed. The point is that he, he fought this fight with hope of success. Yeah. And what happened is down the road, it was successful. Right. We fight the same hope. We hope that the world will become Christianized. Christ will overcome the nations. Yes. That doesn't mean that in Chris Putz's life that that will happen. That doesn't mean that that will happen for hundreds of years. I have no idea. All I know is that I have hope that it does. So I fight the battle as if the, the outcome is, is known because the outcome is known. We know that all knees will bow. We know that the, go- the governments of this world will be put under his, under his feet. We know this is the outcome. We can, Christians, especially in the world, can fight and can, and by fight, I mean, you know, you guys know what I mean. I don't physically go up, beat up your brothers. I'm, that's what, what I'm saying. Um, but we can fight this battle knowing with assurance that we have a victorious king who will win this war. It's not, the, the outcome is not in doubt. Yeah, I so um, we we were a little naive to think that we could talk about the Great Commission without going straight post mail, but um, we tried we tried not we tried, to for a bit. But um, so I had uh, a guy in our church, uh, Barry. We 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 love Barry, um, who listens to the podcast. Um, but uh, he we were talking about post millennialism, and and uh, we were, I was recommending actually I was recommending the book uh, the Puritan Hope to him. And uh, I was saying, oh, I have a great postmail book for you, Barry. And he's like, is it the book of Isaiah? <laughs> because right now I'm reading Isaiah and you can't read it and not be postmail. And uh, he was talking and I, I thought this was so, I, I, I read this this week. So Isaiah 53, right, is is the, the uh, chapter in Isaiah that we all know. It talks about Jesus, right? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God right, and afflicted, right? That's the, Isaiah 53 is the suffering servant, Christ on the cross. And then Isaiah 54, right? And we know that the chapter breaks are man-made after the fact. It, it's basically saying like, because of this, right? Because Christ goes to the cross, because he was smitten uh, and, and struck down by God, because of all that. And then it says, verse two, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread to the right and to the left and your offspring shall possess all nations and the people of desolate cities. 
Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowed and uh, uh, be remembered no more. For the Maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. And it's just like, come on, <laughs> come on, get it, get it. Hashtag that, that postman. Yeah, totally. So um, anyway, Great Commission, it's super great. <laughs> <laughs> the super the great commission is super great yeah. i hope you guys don't tweet that as the hashtag for this, <laughs> this yeah. episode um but uh yeah so uh the greatness of the great commission i i i hope and we pray that the greatness of the great commission takes a hold of the hearts of uh north american church and uh and by god's grace and uh and through the power of the holy spirit um the world is changed because we once again believe in the promise that the great commission can be successfully carried out amen that's all i got man but that this is the sound of the mic drop man yeah. like, ah, there it is. <laughs> yeah. we can't drop our mics though they're attached to these yeah these fancy things, things. um anyway thanks for listening to the thieves we don't always go full-blown post mill but we often do <laughs> Or, sorry, the rebels, the rebels. I was thinking of how much the thieves are going to love this episode. After all the the, the back and forth on cessationism, I'm, I'm glad they're going to like this We one. changed our name. We're now the two and a half thieves. Two and a half. That was terrible. Um, yeah, so uh, thanks for tuning into the rebels, and uh, we'll see you next time. Have a great one, guys. You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Write a review and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you. So if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us. And you may now consider yourself part of the rebellion.